Welcome to Extra Drama for book number 14, Deceptions. The one where Elizabeth accepts a date with Nicholas Morrow, even though she has a boyfriend. with Elizabeth Yarwood. Hello and welcome. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me once again. And we just have like a couple of quick things to think about that uh, we didn't get to in the main episode. Yeah. Um, You brought up a great point about the character of Nicholas Morrow and the way this book um, attempts to have us uh, feel some sympathy for his uh, wealth. Right. When they're at dinner, which is... One of the most ridiculous dinners ever. At the Côte d'Or. At the Côte d'Or. <laughs> he starts to tell Elizabeth a little bit about himself. And it turns out himself is just rich white dude with rich white dude problems. Right. And his big problem is that when you're rich, people assume a lot of the time that you're stuck up. But most of us, he says, are not. It's just the few rich people that give us a bad name. Yeah. And Elizabeth says, for all his money, Nicholas Morrow was just a regular guy. Aww. Yeah. And then, like, a sentence later, they're, like, bringing out the wild strawberry souffle. Right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, maybe this book is trying to save face a little bit because all of the rich characters are a little bit reprehensible in the community thus far. Uh Uh-huh. Um, they don't really factor into this book at all, but we have Bruce Patman and the Patmans. We have Lila Fowler and the Fowlers. They're the two rich families in town before the Morrows arrive. And they are at war with each other. In the very first book, they're like trying to steal the football field away from the high school because the high school let the lease lap. So they're not great rich people. They're, but it's definitely the book would suggest that the Morrows are the exception and not the Fowlers and the Batmans. I mean, it seems like there are very fine differences between the types of rich people in this town as well as the types of attractive people. It's yeah. Like the very, it's all, it's all very uh, close group. <laughs> well, I mean, as an attempt to add depth to Nicholas's character, I can understand this moment of like, you know, it's not all fun and games being a rich person, but it definitely feels like it, from a modern perspective, you kind of want to roll your eyes. Like, but right. why are you, why are you taking time out of your busy book schedule to try and make us like feel sympathy for Nicholas because of his wealth? It definitely seems like it's of the era. It's an early eighties. Oh, sure. It's like Reagan, the whole Reagan era. era. Yeah. yeah. Thing <laughs> going on. Yeah. There was one other, uh, idea in this book that really stood out to me and, uh, it kind of, how we think about it, in, in the main episode, we talked about Elizabeth, perhaps, maybe she really did have feelings, feel, feelings for Nicholas. Uh, but the book suggests that mostly she's just, like the text, like the literal interpretation of the text would suggest that mostly she's just going out with Nicholas because he's asked her so many times. Right. And like made such a solid case that she should give him a shot. 
Yeah, she basically just feels bad. There's yeah. her feelings pop up again and again with Nicholas and with Todd. Yeah, yeah. And Nicholas, when he does the right thing that does makes this noble gesture at the end of the book and goes to talk to Todd during halftime of the basketball game and like set Todd straight says, you know, verbatim, I well, I should probably quote the book if I'm going to say verbatim, but so maybe not verbatim, verbatim, but he says to Todd, because I don't have the page marked, uh, the only reason that Elizabeth went out with me is because I was so persistent. Right. I really, really pushed her. Right. And so she agreed. Right. And that's kind of true. And it brings to mind just this like kind of complicated place that we're in now. Yeah. You know, it was less complicated, I think, in the 80s. And we grew up, you and I mm-hmm. grew up with this media where we, even though we're, we're struggling to think of an example, but I think right. it's almost like because it's so ubiquitous of where the man, if he just, if he really, really loves the girl, if he really thinks she's the one, he has to keep on trying to convince her that she should give him a shot. Right. And that's the way that you become the romantic hero and win the day. Yeah. And this is the basis of so many romantic comedies and just romantic dramas that we've been watching our whole lives. Yeah. Yeah. And there's often this moment in those stories where the, the woman... Like deep down, she knows that she loves the man, but she, there's some misunderstanding or she just can't be honest with him about her love for him. Right. And so it's, it's behooves the man to really, really push and push and push and, and quote unquote convince her. Yeah. And then finally they can be together. And it's this whole Until idea. Of, she realizes her true feelings. Yeah. It's like, if you really love her, you got to fight for her. Right. And I mean, there, I suppose there's some truth to that. In the context of the romantic stories, there is always truth to it. But now we're in this, like, kind of brave new world. Right. Uh, where, like, post Me Too, yeah. we're, as women, I guess, we have always known that a persistent guy can be kind of a terror, you know? Like, if somebody won't drop it when you say drop it, that's not usually a romantic situation, right. right? It's usually horrible. Yeah, I mean, there's this huge gray area around this type of communication. It's kind of like, where do we draw the line? Um, not to be a, like, you know, reader feeling bad for a rich guy, but I actually can kind of feel for modern men now, too, because it is sort of... I feel like it would be kind of hard to know where where the line is. Like, when do I need to try a little harder because I care about someone? And when do I need to, you know, step back because I'm being a dick? I mean, hopefully you can right. figure that out. Right. Use your common sense, men. Right. And, of course, I'm sorry. I'm talking in a very hetero kind of a way here about men and women. But um, Yeah, and it's also, like, how do we tell women that it's okay to feel whatever you're going to feel and you don't need to be convinced by whoever is trying to convince you. Yeah. Because also then you have these characters in this book that we were, I was joking in the first episode about Jessica being so thirsty and it's like, you know, she's actually making her feelings known. Right. And it's, we read that and think like, oh man, she is trying way too hard. And I think there is a certain dynamic where, you know, women feel like they can't, and maybe, maybe they can't, uh, in a male female relationship, be super like open about how into a guy they are because he'll like run away. Right. Either they can't be, 
too open or or they're also being told you should feel this other way. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is not because I have any answers, but because I genuinely don't know how much of this is real male-female dynamics and how much of it is the stories that we have been told and are telling, you know, our whole lives about this is what, you know, women are chasing men and men are going to, you know, play around. But, you know, men, because they're going to play around, have to really prove it to the woman that they really are going to stick around. You know what I mean? It's a really good point. Yeah, because our typical love stories, they go from A to B to C, and it follows a very linear path. But that's not necessarily reality. Yeah. So we kind of need to reevaluate how we see love and how it develops. I'm going to make another one of the Sweet Valley Diaries patented earnest pleas for just like straight up honesty. There you go. You know? Yeah. Be honest, men, women. Yeah. Put it all out there. Yeah. Don't play games. I agree. It's hard to do in reality, though. It's hard to do, especially in this age of like social media and everybody putting kind of, um, you know, a filter on life. Yeah, yeah. And the difference between like fantasy and reality blurs a lot. And, yeah. you know, anyway, I don't have any answers, but I thought Me it was neither. kind of interesting to <laughs> yeah. think about. I think it's uh, interesting too. <laughs> so I have something else cool to talk about. <laughs> Yay. In every episode of this podcast, I ask you, dear listeners, to send me an email. And I got an email, a great email from a listener named Christina. Thank you, Christina. And I thought I'd read it a little bit. And maybe, uh, Elizabeth, you and I can talk about it. Sounds good. Chris, I think Christina might be a British, and I forgot to ask her. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> or possibly Australian. These books are very popular in Australia. Oh, nice. Um, Christina, I'm sorry for forgetting to ask you where you were from. When I was in grade two, there was a definite buzz to Sweet Valley Twins in my school. I can't remember if my friends were reading it or if the library never had it on the shelf or what, but I couldn't get my hands on a copy. I think even my local mall bookstore was sold out. I remember hesitantly asking my parents if I could have the books and if we could try to find them somewhere else. Ah, the days before Amazon. And I have a very specific memory of my parents driving me to downtown Toronto. Ah, Canada. Okay. <laughs> Which was... <laughs> There we have the answer. I read this email before I read it on air. <laughs> Which was like an hour away to go to this massive bookstore that used to be in the heart of the city to try to find the books. I remember thinking that there was no way that this big bookstore would have copies of Sweet Valley Twins because they were sold out everywhere, but my dad was certain they'd be at this big bookstore. We arrived, and I remember we had to ask for help from a sales clerk to find them. He or she took us to where they were, and there was a box set of the first four books. I remember mentally debating if I should get the box set or just the first book, and I wasn't sure if my parents would let me. I honestly remember thinking, for whatever reason, that these books were the type of books you didn't tell your parents you read. <laughs> like the very fact my parents were letting me buy four books, it definitely felt like I'd pulled one over on them. In any case, my parents told me I could have the box set, and I was the happiest seven-year-old. Uh, Christina goes on to say that she kept on reading the Sweet Valley Twins books um, from, like, girlhood into when she started university. Oh, and, then nice. she, and then she was like, oh, crap, I maybe I shouldn't be reading this books about 12-year-olds anymore. Um, That's, like, the best story ever, though. She says she owns every single Sweet Valley Twins book. Oh, wow. Uh, and... 
I just, I love, I love, there's more to the email, but I, I just, I love that story. I love that story. Like the idea of going to the bookstore and even as a little kid, like thinking my parents are not going to approve of these yeah, books, really. but like tricking them into like the box set. Certainly if they were the Sweet Valley High books, you would have definitely <laughs> yeah. been pulling one yeah. over on your parents. Yeah. Well, and she goes on to say that. Um, the Sweet Valley High books were on the fiction bookshelves in their school library in high school. Oh, wow. Um, but she still only read Sweet Valley Twins. She had friends who read Sweet Valley High, and we talk about the characters. And she tried to read one or two of the books. She says, I will say that I could not get into Sweet Valley High, and I wonder if at the time I thought they were too extra and unrealistic <laughs> to me in my high school life. And, yeah, I, I could totally see that. Yeah. Um, when I read the first Sweet Valley High book that I ever read, I was already an adult. Like, I was in my very early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I had read Sweet Valley Twins as a girl. Yeah, me too. So I was familiar. So maybe you had the same experience. I was kind of familiar with the characters, and I thought I knew what I was getting into. Right. I think that part of the reason I developed this intense fascination with these books was because it was like, I thought I knew what Sweet Valley was, and then it was so soap opera, so over the top. Yeah, I had really no idea what the real Sweet Valley High books were like. I mean, I only had an experience with Sweet Valley Twins, which I don't remember super well because it was a million years ago, Um, but I I was familiar with the characters. Uh, So Christina suggests, um, and I think that I will probably take up this suggestion Uh, God willing, that once I'm all the way through the Sweet Valley High books on the podcast, we should read the Sweet Valley University books, which I have a couple Mm. of them on my shelf. That's a really good idea. They are hopefully, you know, the girls that are older. Like, yeah, who knows? knows? (laughs) So hopefully, I mean, they definitely will be older, but who knows what will happen? Yeah. Um, So, Christina, thank you so much for writing in. And um, listeners... I would like to suggest that if you have your own memories of reading these books when you were younger, or like how you discovered them, um, or maybe you discovered them as an adult, maybe uh, you're, you know, a gentleman who found them in a book bin or something. I don't know. Whatever you, whoever you are, why ever you read them, I don't care. It doesn't have to be a story like Christina's. I would love to read it. Uh, it's fun to remember lots of bookstores and yeah, yeah. Ugh. When different I, time. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was fortunate enough to live like three blocks away from this huge borders in Chicago oh, that's for a awesome. number of years. And I went there as like therapy. I would go there all the time and like just like chill out. Yeah, I mean, I remember going to the bookstore with my parents all the time. And every time all of us bought a book every single time. Aww. Yeah. That Borders is now a top shop, and <laughs> it's fine, but it's not therapeutic. <laughs> I guess maybe to some people. I'm sure to some people, yes. Um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me again for thank Extra you. Drama. Thanks for having me. Uh, listeners, you know, rate, review, and subscribe. I'm going to say it every time now. And send me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com, uh, just like Christina did. Uh, follow me on Twitter at sweetvalley. Or on Instagram, better yet, on Instagram, at Sweet Valley Diaries. I like Instagram better than Twitter. I did refer to Twitter as a cesspool in the last in the last episode, so True. you feel me. Listeners, you feel me. Um, I love my Twitter followers, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks again. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, that was fun. That is something that is literally said in this book, that Elizabeth tells herself that she's never going to make a promise again, and then she sort of giggles at how happy it makes her. Right. Anyway, <laughs> that's just <laughs> the point. 